Right, welcome folks. This is episode nine. Uh, Sunil and I are going to discuss all the ways that people mess up their diets. So all the reasons for why your weight stalls, your fat loss endeavors plateau. Um, right, so uh, Sunil, how you doing? Hey, Vaz. All good, thank you. How have you been? All right, mate. All right. Thanks very much. Yeah. So uh, now the first, we're going to get straight into this. So the first way that people mess up their diets and they hit a plateau is that they under-report calories. Now we were just talking off air, so I'm going to hand this straight over to Sunil. Um, and Sunil was talking about evening eating uh, ultra-processed food. Um, so do you want to go ahead and just discuss a little bit about under-reporting calories, I'll, uh, whatever angle you want to take on that? Yeah, I would say um, with the uh, topic of like the food environment that we're surrounded with, um, we could touch on a lot of topics with, you know, what's being advertised to us, um, even like from the lack of meal prep as well. Um, I would say that could lead to, you know, uh, episodes of like having little snacks here and there, which could ultimately add up and uh, take you out of your deficit. Um but yeah, the, the associations or the way that we've set up kind of our, I don't know if you want to put it as like society or, you know, the way we've um, structured how you just mentioned in the evening times where we associate kind of that with, uh, say, movies or binge watching TV shows and how we associate snacks and stuff with that as well. So like, you know, your typical popcorn, chocolate, fizzy drinks, uh, glasses of wine, Um I was thinking a lot into this, like, you know, that that time of the day, the evening is the kind of um, where that stuff occurs. Like no one wakes up up in the morning and says, oh, I'm going to have a kebab (laughs) or I fancy a kebab. It's always, you know, after a night out or during those times of uh, um, the evening. Um, So I think there's a huge association with those times of the day with that type of food and those types of habits. Um, Yeah, just thinking like everyone I'm sure can relate. Like, you know, you have a a gossip on the phone with like your best friend over a glass of wine or something and it's always typically during the night um so yeah and the and i think the point you made about under reporting calories um that could play into like the the lack of meal prep i guess or the the kind of shame or guilt people feel if they do have something and they're like oh um that calorie um doesn't count towards my tracking but it does count overall so there's a lot of things that we could touch on there. So, um, yeah, if there's something that I didn't touch on there, just let me know and then I can go back into it. But yeah. what would you add to that? So in terms of what you see, where where are the common break? What, what are the commonalities with people who under-report calories? Because we know it happens a lot. And um, where do you see it happening the most? And perhaps what is some of the worst cases that you've seen of this uh, where people have, underreported calories i would say most likely confusion with how to track or like a, a lack of experience with tracking um a lack of consistency as well like changing up the way you track i would say is another thing where counting calories could not be um beneficial um <clears throat> it's like it's, it's, it's that feedback loop that we're after isn't it Baz? <clears throat> of consistency and some structure that we, we want to see from our clients <clears throat> So it's like the, you know, the whole cooked weight versus uncooked weight and then how that could lead to confusion for some people. But we, we, we always preach like it's consistency, just 
whichever way you do it, continue to do it that way. Um, that's what kind of I've seen. Um, in terms of the the underreporting as well, it could be like people don't count like um, that mouthful of that snack or treat that, that, you know, won't count towards their calories, but it does ultimately because that is energy that they're taking in. So um, it could be like beverages as well, which are very easy to get down. Something that you might not think is um, uh, going to count towards the calories, but uh, that's the easiest way to get food down, isn't it? To, to, to drink it. So I think, um, yeah, it could, it could be confusion or it could be like not thinking something uh, accounts towards overall calories. So that's kind of from what I've experienced. I've not seen like a massive, um, obviously if like weight loss plateaus or uh, weight increases, then I've not, I've not seen that in, in terms of like um, that experience that I think you have come across with the, a client, which um, was something that you shared in your podcast previously. But um, which I think, are you, are you going to touch on that again? Like the, the, you know, I'm eating this amount of calories, so why am I not losing weight kind of uh, example. But um, from what I've seen as well, like a lack of meal prep could play into that because I, I, I am finding meal prep to be very powerful with my clients. Yeah. Like once they start practicing it and implementing that, um, I've, I, I've always said this to my guys, it's going to reduce a lot of stress for you. Um, you know, if you have that meal prepared in the fridge, in the house, um, and then they always re- report that back to me saying like, that's helping having that food ready, that is going to benefit them. Um, and we might, we might go into this in terms of what foods, you know, will help you in, in your diet, um, against starvation mode, you know, that kind of not filling your plate up with food, thinking that you have to eat, you know, very, very small portions. Um, so like, what, what would you say as well, um, plays into the underreporting? So on the topic of underreporting then now, I've got a study here, which is called Assessing Dietary Intake, Who, What, and Why of Underreporting. And um, we know that underreporting food intake is probably one of the primary obstacles which get in the way of people um, being able to have success when it comes to calorie counting diets. Now, I'm just reading through this, that underreporting in sort of large nutritional surveys tends to range up to anywhere from like 50% to like 70%. So that's quite high. Um, And that happens on a regular basis. They've also done these um, street surveys where they kind of just show pictures of food to people on the street. Not as accurate, obviously, but uh, people can can, uh, under under report by almost as much as 300%. So like they would see a 1,200 calorie plate of food in a picture in front of them. You stop on the street as something like three or 400 calories. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. So it shows just what the mind sees. Now, we know that everyone does this. So this is not an attack at any, on anyone. We know that everyone underreports or un- underestimates, I should say. Everyone underestimates how much is on their plate unless they've had decades and decades of counting, accounting accurately by weighing things out. Everyone does it, no matter whether you're lean, naturally, you know, whether you're naturally fat, everyone does it. The only difference is that it's far more, it's more likely that somebody who's obese does it to a greater extent. Also, due to their genetics, they're probably less likely to get away with it as well. So it's a kind of a one-two punch combination there. It's one, it's a psychological thing. They're more likely to underreport and buy more. And two, 
the physical side of things, they're going to be less able to actually deal with the excess calories than somebody who's genetically predisposed to being leaner. We know there are genetic variances with how people deal with excess calories. Like that's a different point altogether, but you can overfeed some people and they just burn it off. Overfeed other people, they just gain a ton of weight. So underreporting calories becomes a problem for those people. It doesn't become a problem for somebody who's naturally lean and has got high activity level, high muscle mass, because even if they overeat, they just burn it off. And to the outside world, it seems like they are perfectly in control of everything and they're eating a the perfect diet. Uh, but the reality is they're just not genetically predisposed to it. But that's going off, off topic a little bit. Main point is underreporting calories. I'll also say this, food labels are particularly damaging. And uh, like you were saying before, unless you're cooking your own food and, and weighing it out, you're going to be at the mercy of food labels, which I was speaking to uh, Steve Shaw from uh, Massive Iron. He said in America, there are, they've seen differences of 25% in on US like uh, food labels which is pretty insane like so a thousand calorie food label could be yeah like 1250 calories actually and that's quite a lot and that's those 250 calories are enough to throw a small woman out of a deficit or a small guy out of a deficit um so yeah underreporting calories is a massive thing really it's and I'll touch on one last point um it's a very difficult conversation to have with a client. Like, look, you're trying, you're trying your hardest. You're probably even a little bit hungry, but you're not losing weight more than likely because you're underreporting calories. It's an extremely difficult conversation to have because there is a lot of emotional attachment attached to what we eat, how much we eat, and our self-worth. And if we're trying and somebody's saying, you're still eating too much, even though they're just trying to help you, that can it can be taken as a very negative thing by some clients. And that's some, it, it's a difficult conversation for a coach to have. It's not something that I've, that I enjoy doing, but it's certainly part of the job. All right. So just to go on to the next point, Sunil, I'll throw this back to you. Um, overestimating energy expenditure. You mentioned off air about um, people doing like a very lazy hour of cardio and also eating back calories from that lazy hour of cardio. Um, just give us your thoughts on overestimating energy expenditure. Yeah, so with that topic, um, the issue that I have with that is, I guess it's not the actual effort towards cardio, it's the emphasis on the, the mindset of that's the most powerful thing that they can do in terms of helping with their fat loss goals. Um, I, when, when I approach cardio, it's not really from the perspective of fat loss it's more say like with the cardiovascular benefits and the performance benefits say um it's not really anything that i kind of focus my efforts on towards fat loss i'd rather uh, focus in on diet and nutrition along with steps when it comes to that um and you know with the emphasis of the of the cardiovascular um method of trying to burn fat it just doesn't make you feel good like after doing it like in, in, in my experience like after you do that you don't really want to do anything else you just like you spent an hour or 45 minutes on this machine and you get off it and you're like oh i just want to go home now and just lie down and not do anything um and then and, and because the emphasis isn't on nutrition it's most likely probably not being like nailed down so there's probably mistakes being made there like not probably un not knowingly but that that's my thoughts on that um i don't like the emphasis of 
um, say someone's program to be on cardio. Um, I'm not against it, uh, but it's just like the way you set it up and the way you approach it is I think where people, I don't know what I did. Yeah. Faz, where do you think they get that notion from? Like, the, is it from the bodybuilding world where they see like a bodybuilder doing cardio or they see them doing cardio towards the, the phase of fat loss and dieting down for a show? Like, do you think that might play into like, we, we, we could touch on even like um, the six meals a day thing if you want, because that's something that I've recently touched on and the whole kind of, um, you know, people see bodybuilders do this and they think, oh, that's what I have to do as well to get shredded and, I've never done six meals a day. I've never um, practiced that. I've never wanted to practice that. Um, if, if anything, I do, or I'm currently doing two meals a day, which is the complete opposite to that. Um, so yeah, I don't know on that point about cardio, what you want to touch on as well, or any energy expenditure. So I think with um, with cardio, I think just to keep it on the cardio front for the, for, for the time being, um, yeah, you mentioned people doing like an hour of cardio, like a lazy hour of cardio. Now, what I wanted to touch on was what your Apple Watch or your Fitbit says you burn in the hour of cardio relative to what you actually burn. And this kind of contributes to people eating back calories. So a lot of the calorie trackers are based on data from elite athletes. So an elite athlete may well burn 800 to 1,000 calories in an hour. Um, which is results to around about, translates to about 400 to 500 calories in a half an hour. But the thing is, elite athletes are ironically the ones who don't need that calorie burn because they're generally very lean anyway and they're training for hours and hours per day. Now, if you get your average Joe, even, even like me and Sunil, you know, we wouldn't be burning that much. Like we'd probably be burning maybe 200 calories per half an hour if we're lucky, 400 calories per hour if we're lucky. And we're, you know, we would be going at it relatively hard. Um, but so you see, I see these people, I see this with people all the time. They post up on Instagram, hey, I just did half an hour of cardio my, and I burned 600 calories. It's like, no, you didn't, dude. You burned. If you were lucky, you burned 200 calories. You maybe burned 150, maybe 100. It's that little. So you get these people who go to the gym and they do their, their hour of really lazy kind of cardio where they're just kind of like going through the motions. They're probably sweating because relative to sitting on the couch or with their office job, they're probably still doing quite a lot of work, you know, but it's not burning anywhere near the amount of calories they think it's burning. So they'll get off thinking, well, I've just burnt a thousand calories today. And that gives them a mental buffer for what they should eat. And so they burn a thousand calories. Well, they think they've burnt a thousand calories. They've actually burnt probably more like 200 calories. They go into their evening meals a lot more confident and they go into their caloric estimations a lot more confident. And then it, they get lead, it leads into a situation where they're essentially overeating past what they need to be eating for the deficit. So perhaps they maintain weight, perhaps they gain weight, who knows? Um, and they just end up losing sight of the correlation between exercise and fat loss because they've just ruined it. <laughs> and I guess what Sunil um, uh, would say, and, that, and we were talking about this off air, is we would rather see you in that hour just to get some hard weight training done, get some resistance training done. That's going to be ultimately a lot better for your physique long-term. And it's going to be just as good caloric-wise as your hour of cardio. Just for, please, for God's sake, people, get it out of your heads that you're burning 1,000 calories an, an hour. You're not. You're probably burning two or 300 if you're lucky. And so I think that massively affects things. And then the other, other part of that is people will go even further and they'll say that they'll eat back their calories. So they'll look on their Apple Watch, they'll, they'll program it into MyFitnessPal going, okay, I need to be at 
1500 calories to be in a deficit. But I was at the gym and the machine told me I burnt a thousand. Great. I'll eat 2500. Sorted. And all of a sudden, they've completely vanished their deficit. And it sounds obvious when we say it, but the amount of people we run into who are still eating back calories burnt and then are thinking, I can't lose weight. Why can't I lose weight? So I was like, and it's like, just hold on a second. Can we just apply an ounce of logic? Isn't the reason you're in the gym to burn calories, to lose weight? <laughs> Why are you eating it back? So just to piggyback off that point, I want to throw this next point at you, Sunil. Um, we've talked about like doing the cardio, but where I think the other factor, the third factor is not actually hitting the weights and not doing a hard resistance training program, thinking that's the realms of young men or bodybuilders and just not doing it. What's your experience with people just not hitting the weights hard? Yeah, one of my pet peeves and one of my issues is the whole notion of I don't want to build I don't want to lift weights because I build, I will build too much muscle. Uh, that really, that really gets on my nerves now. Okay. And it, it's a lot more common than I think. I don't know if, I don't know if that is more, more common than I think, but I think it is very much held true in a lot of people's uh, mindsets that I've come across. Like I've, I've come across it so many times now where it's, um, it's very irritating and it's getting on my nerves. The fact that you think that you can, build too much muscle and i'm me and baza here trying to trying to get jacked and when we're like i'm nowhere near that like and i'm in the gym like every week like yeah is that is that very i could is that a very ignorant um approach to take with with mindset in terms of lifting weights for some like uh yeah it's very irritating to me to, to for, for myself to be in the gym putting in as much work as i do and not, not not seeing the muscle growth that I want. And then someone else thinking that if they just lift one dumbbell, they're going to turn into the Hulk. Um, so what, yeah. what, do, what do you see are the benefits of uh, hitting the weights? Increased muscle mass, obviously. Um, your resting metabolic rate will be higher, um, which will allow you to eat more food in the long run. Um, I don't know I don't know what uh, what associations people have with cardio. Like, do they think... But, do they think doing that cardio will burn the fat off their body? But then I don't know if they understand that more lean tissue and more muscle mass in the right areas will actually improve their physique in, in yeah. terms of how it looks because it will add shape. That's what, that's what muscles do. They add shape to your body. A reduction in fat and no muscle is not going to add shape or, you know, like the, or I, I know that we all have our individual um, goals and how, how we want to look um, for most men that's, you know, bigger up top smaller in the the waist for that v taper for ladies it's you know flip that around where it's you know bigger bigger glutes you know around the hips um but i think yeah i i think people think that the cardio is going to just eliminate all the fat on their body and then um that's going to help them get, get to their goals where if you just switch the emphasis of you know more weight training um along with um nutrition um and some like level of neat throughout the day, I think is because I, because I've tried both. Um, I've tried, you know, the cardio and starvation approach and I've tried the, the higher neat along with weight training. Um, and from my experience, I'd, I'd never go back to doing the cardio and starvation approach. So that's just from my experience, but um, I think, I, I don't know if you've come across this with any of your clients, but um I've had some experiences where, you know, they, they say that they don't want big arms. Um, 
And I'm just like, please don't think that because it's not as easy as you think. Like in the beginner stage, you will make progress a lot faster, but it's not going to get to the point where you turn to, into the Hulk. And, you know, one day you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm huge and I don't like this. Like, it's not going to happen like that. And I think yeah. people take that mindset into lifting weights where they don't want to touch dumbbell or jump on, you know, a, a jump in a squat rack. And it's, uh, it's very frustrating to come across that. And that I don't know where that comes from either. I don't know where that, um, that mindset um, is developed, um, whether they just see like, you know, someone on a magazine or someone on steroids and that's just, you know, what sticks, sticks to them. Um, but that's just my experience with, you know, people um, and their approach to resist, resistance training and weightlifting. Um, and maybe it, it may be something related to um, the environment, like, you know, the weight room and, the people in the weight room and the way they act and their behaviors and it might not be appealing whereas like they might feel safe on a cardiovascular machine where there's no one around them and you know not some huge guy in there like making noise and I guess that might be something but uh, I don't know what you think about that because in terms of the benefits I think people got to remember this I've written down a few benefits here which I want to talk through firstly uh, muscle adds shape to your physique add good shape to the physique by all intents by all practical um, purposes it adds the shape in the opposite ways that body fat does like you add shape up top makes your broad shoulders broader makes you bigger in the right areas rather than fat which was distorts your shape it smooths everything out so it's the exact opposite of being fat so it adds sexy shape to your body like muscle is sexy um next thing is like Having a large amount of muscle actually protects you massively from diabetic markers. And if we look at one of the, the, the biggest sort of diseases in the UK and the US, it's all related to obesogenic diabetic factors, like whether that's kidney issues, liver issues, heart issues, brain issues, all that kind of stuff. Those are all essentially can be traced back to, um, traced back to health and obesogenic factors. So uh, protects against um, diabetic markers. Also, for the long term, it actually a high degree of muscle mass protects against neurodegeneration, neurodegeneration as well. So the ability for your brain to stay on track. So there are horrible diseases like Alzheimer's and stuff like that. We we know now that having a high degree of muscle mass actually starts to prevent or at least safeguard you from those issues. Effectively, we know that for your best chance of not only having a long life, but having a good quality of life, you're better off being as big as possible and as lean as possible. This is very, very important. So we are not just talking about building muscle as a narcissistic endeavor. And I think that's, just to briefly touch on your points, I think you've covered it really well. So I won't go into it too much, but I think that's a large part of where people get this, I don't want to do weights. They feel it's more of a narcissistic endeavor and how it's just, it's just for young men trying to show off when the reality is, is the complete opposite. And just to go on to the next thing, a couple of points, I think if you do have a greater degree of muscle mass, you're able to hold a higher weight with less fat. Let me just explain what I mean by that. Now, my body used to naturally gravitate towards 90 kilos. And that was roughly where it liked to be from when I was like 15 years old. Yeah, I was big people. <laughs> so now, over the years, that 90 has been leaner and leaner and leaner and leaner because I've gained more and more muscle. This is a really important thing. If the concept of a body set point is true, and that's, there's some you know, variability on whether people believe in that or not, but if it's true, the more muscle you have, 
the more you can get back up to that weight point and look better. So think about where you naturally sit. If you naturally sit at like 14 stone, 15 stone, 90 kilos, whatever, or 200 pounds, however you want to say it, right? If you naturally sit there, surely it would be better for at least just 10 pounds of that to be more muscle and 10 pounds to be less fat. It's going to look better. Just think about it from that perspective. The next thing is as well, the more muscular you are, the more fat you could hold and still look good. I'll give you an extreme example. You see guys who are like, and I've had guys come to me who are about 130 pounds, which is really light, like less than 60 kilos. And they don't have abs because, and they're, you know, of average height, like as I say, they're 5'10". You're not going to have abs at that height because you're just not muscular enough. Whereas you see a competitive bodybuilder in the off season, they might be really, really bloated, really, really fat. They might be as much as 20% body fat, but they're still got their abs. The bigger you are, the more muscle you hold, the less fat you're going to look with the assuming the same amount of fat. So those are all reasons, both narcissistic and non-narcissistic, health-related, longevity-related, quality of life-related, why hitting the weight is better for you than cardio. Now, if you're going to do the hour of cardio and or you're going to do the hour of weights, you may as well hit the weights because you're going to burn the same amount of calories roughly. And again, bear in mind, you burn F4 calories with actual cardio, right? Remember, we had that talk. So you may as well do hit the weights because at least then you're building for the future. Like right now, I'm, I'll be approaching my, my 40th. My maintenance is still 3,000 calories. Now, people think I'm lucky for that. I used to weigh 15 stone with probably like 50% body fat when I was 15 years old. I'm not lucky. I've put in over two decades of graft in the weight room so that my fat loss is now easier than it ever has been. Just let that sink in. Most people, when they approach their 30s and 40s, fat loss, they believe it gets harder. It shouldn't get harder. If it got harder, you effed up. I'm talking to you listening at home who sat there going, Baz has got it lucky because he's big bodybuilder, all that kind of stuff. No, I worked for this. If you're sat at home, you're like, I've had a lifetime of dieting, and now dieting's hard. You effed up. And if you had actually put some time into the gym, then you'd be in a better situation. But it's not too late to reverse that. So if you, you get in touch with you know a decent coach, like me and Sunil, we both coach, then we'd be able to help you with that, actually reverse some of those issues. Now, the next thing I wanted to talk about was um, overly restricting um, food leading to binges. Uh, and we, we've, the word binge brings up some quite strong connotations in some people. But I just want to point out before we get into the discussion that binging is, is described as any form of uncontrolled eating where there's some sort of regret, okay? Which, if you think about it from that actual definition, it um, affects a lot more people than we might think. It's not just for like those really extreme pictures of anorexics and bulimics, but it is an issue which affects a lot of people. And it's being talked about a lot more. BED, you may have heard the term. So, um, binge eating disorder. So, over-restriction turning into binge eating. Please, let's uh, discuss a bit about that. Uh, still. Yeah, with my own um, experience with uh, over-restricting and some clients of mine sharing their experiences with their previous diets and sharing with me how this initial first phase of working together has been such a difference uh, from those previous experiences, I would say the over-restriction comes from the emphasis of cardio I've seen, uh, which makes you more hungry and more tired. Um, and the way you structure and approach your 
vegetable intake, which is another thing um, that I think is a huge, huge part, which we've discussed multiple times. Um, a protein source as well, or an adequate amount of protein, I think will help as well. We've talked about the um, combination of protein and fiber. Um, but yeah, the, 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 what I see is a lot, there's a lot of, um, I see a lot of, uh, well, recently, um, this approach towards the, the, the shakes, um, I've, I've seen with a few clients, um, that, them sharing with me, you know, oh, I went on the shake diet. Um, is it, um, I don't, I don't remember, remember the name of the company. Um, it might be Herbalife or another, another name, but, um, yeah. It, they've shared with me their experiences with that and how it was someone that was uh, recommending them. Is, is that commission-based, Faz? Do, do they get commission for recommending the product? And Yeah, it's a, a multi-level marketing scheme, uh, essentially. Now, it's not a pyramid scheme legally, but it does look like a pyramid scheme and it does act like a pyramid scheme. But for legal reasons, we can't say it's a pyramid scheme. It is, however, a multi-level marketing scheme. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, the guys from Propane Fitness did a really good video on that recently. Yusuf did a great breakdown of Herbalife, so go check that out. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's not great. Yeah, I, I think the over-restriction comes from this, where these approaches are just shit, um, very shit approaches um, in my eyes. Um, they don't really teach the person anything. Uh, they don't teach long-term sustainable habits. Um, there's no education there. Um, along with, uh, so that, that's just one um, recent experience with over-restriction I found. Um, there's no micronutrient um, focus there, um, which is going to lead to more problems in my eyes, just, you know, drinking a shake. Um, other things that I've come across is, uh, you know, the whole skipping breakfast uh, because they think there's no bit more fat is another one. Um the whole carb thing as well, you know, like we've previously discussed, thinking that carbs are evil. Um, there, 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 there's a lot of things. Um, and what, what I found is, is that moderation is just a, a good way to go. Um, you know, teaching that there's no, it's that over-restricting mindset where you kind of demonize certain things and then that plays into the, the whole mindset of how they approach the plan. Um, whereas when you just kind of take them through like an approach that you, you and me would do, um, which would look very similar, but there might be some changes here and there, just depending on how it goes. Uh, so that's what I found with over-restriction. Um, and it's not even to do with the, the whole calorie thing, because from my previous, previous experiences with uh, doing very low calorie diets versus a moderate calorie deficit, I don't really see an issue with that either. Um, if, if the appetite is low, um, I think that is um, a good thing. And if, appetite's low, then calorie intake um, or energy intake is going to be lower, which is going to benefit you even more. Um, we, we can, I know that you, you touched on starvation mode as well, which um, I can't, I cannot believe exists as well. Like that theory of starvation mode um, being a problem for fat loss and weight loss. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if you, you want to touch on that, but over restriction just in general, I think is that that lack of food on the plate um which is the lack of education of how to set up the plate with um low calorie foods or vegetables and fruits or you know um which we've talked about previously but um on the point of over restriction i would say that is where kind of i would come from um in terms of my experiences and with clients um it just there's a lack of education there there's no real sustainable um approach that they can stick to um 
th there's one client of mine that I'm kind of offloading now um, and they're going off on their own and they fed back to me that they feel more confident than ever in terms of their own uh, fat loss goals. They're going to continue with the approach because they've told me, you know, they feel, I guess what I want to say is, um, is um, there's no confidence in the over-restricting mindset. I, I found that with my clients now, um, that they're, they're a lot more confident in what, uh, you know, works, like really works and is sustainable. So that's uh, my two cents on that. I think confidence is a big thing. I think people that do, do the over-restricting thing, there's no confidence in the approach or there's no education behind it. Yeah. I think um, from, from my perspective, there are two types of people who've walked through my doors. Um, the first type of person knows full well they've been overeating, like throughout, say, the lockdown or whatever. That's a very rare type of person because generally those people, they know they've been overeating, so they just pull it in a little bit and they get on their way before they hire a coach, right? The much more common type of person who goes to my doors is, look, I feel like I'm hardly eating anything. I don't feel like I'm eating much. I still can't lose any weight and I'm still like 50 pounds overweight. Faz, help me. I literally, I'm broken. I <laughs> said, I can't eat, I don't eat anything and I'm still gaining weight. I still can't lose weight. What the hell's going on now? The typical cycle for those people is this. Usually they'll wake up in the morning. Um, they won't have breakfast, okay? Because they're too busy. Breakfast might be like a coffee and a croissant. That's it. And that they won't really consider that to be a breakfast. It's just coffee and a croissant. So it's just really just caffeine and sugar, right? They've had so far. Then at lunch, There'll be something going around the office because, come on, let's face it, we know that it's everyone's birthday. If it's not Sam's birthday from accounts, it's Karen's birthday from whatever, and then it's whoever's dog's birthday. So there's always some kind of cake in the office that you smash that. that so you're still not really at anything which is going to sustain you. If anything, you could argue that those two things are going to make you more hungry going into the afternoon. Then in the afternoon, they still don't feel like they've eaten much. They've got the kids to pick up from school. Then they play around with the kids do the homework while they're just snacking on some chocolate, all that kind of stuff. And then by the time it gets to like seven o'clock for the evening meal, they're like, look, I've had nothing all day. I've had nothing all day, fast. See, I eat nothing, right? And reality is they probably eat about 1,500 calories worth of just croissants, chocolates, snacks, cakes. It's very easy to do. And if, you, if you're sitting there going, that's a big number, then trust me, I know, like, we work with people like this all the time. So they're already at 15 of calories, but they feel like they've hardly at anything. So they need to have a big hearty evening meal because I've got a whole day of work to go to tomorrow and I didn't eat anything today, right? I, was work I worked hard. I went to a job, picked up the kids from school, helped the kids with their work, did an after school thing, all that kind of stuff. I've been working hard. I've been eating nothing. I'm a martyr. Like just put me on the cross already. Um, so they smash another like 2000 calories in the evening with a glass of wine to boot. Because why not, right? So, boom, where we got, we've got a figure of about 3,000 calories. Now, that's most people. Then, when you get to the weekend, it's everything just on steroids. It's like times by 10. Because, like, whoa, I've all week, I've had nothing. All week, I've had nothing. I'm a martyr. And so, they just smash it on the weekend. Now, obviously, I'm being, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that's generally the, the bulk of what goes through my doors. People who feel like they're hardly in anything. Um, and they're always hungry because they're hard, they feel like they're hardly eating anything. And then they tend to overeat in the evenings and on the weekends. So what, going back to the point of, or, well, this is the point I'm trying to make about over-restriction. When people start a diet, they take that model and they restrict massively. 
So they take the morning croissant, the lunchtime, whatever, and they replace it with salad, which is not bad. It's like it's getting there. Or they might skip breakfast. But in the end, rather than the 1,500 calories they had at the beginning of the day, they might come into the evening with like 200 calories, 300, because they've had, you know, a salad, a slice of apple, and a coffee and good intentions. So they get to the evening and they're absolutely starving or they get to, they manage to get their way to the weekend and they're absolutely starving because they would have been horrified to think they've been eating 3,000 calories a day when in actuality they have been. They feel they've probably been eating more like 2,000, 1,800. You know? So then they restrict massively down to about 1,200 calories. 1,200 is always the golden number. You ever notice that? You ask someone what they're eating. 1,200 calories, I swear to God. <laughs> it's like, all right. It's always 1,200. Why is it always 1,200? So anyway, and if it's not 1,200, it's 800. But anyway, so they, they restrict massively. And then they get to the weekend and they're gone from their previously three to 4,000 calories a day where they felt like they were eating nothing. They've gone down to sort of 800, 1,200, 1,600 calories. So they end up binging. So in the end, during the course of a week, they've nullified any deficit. They've ate it all back on the weekend or they've ate it all back in the evenings. So in the end, what you're left with is a very stressed out individual who is not losing weight because they're eating back all the calories because of the binge. They still get all the negatives of being in a deficit for most of the week. They get feel tired. They get the metabolic slowdown. And they get all the maintenance and all weight gain of somebody who's binging by offsetting that. So they're literally getting the worst of both worlds. That is far more common than you think, far more common. If you really pick apart what these people are doing who are maintaining the weight and who can't lose any weight, oftentimes that's what they're doing. Their over-restriction leads to them binging, which nullifies everything, and it just leaves them in a constant state of being tired the whole week, feeling like they're eating nothing and tired. And basically, I know I've been kind of like saying this in a humorous way, but it's quite sad in a way because a lot of these people just feel very broken. They just feel like nothing works. When the reality is, you know, Sunil and I, we coach people like this all the time and we are happy to help. That's what we do for a living. Like if you get somebody and you teach them good basic nutrition principles, you start to spread out their food across the day. You start to add in a good degree of resistance training. And then on top of all that, you apply some accountability via a good coach, somebody to just put their arm around you for a few months, just to steady the ship, make sure you're on the right track you can change what is the trajectory of a lifetime. Like, I'm a bit older than I'm 40. I've known people who've struggled with their weight for the past two decades. Now, that's really sad. And I, as I always say, I've said it a lot in, in recent podcasts, you've only got one life to live. And if you spend your entire best years of your life, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, constantly struggling with your weight and failing, that's no way to live your life. You don't want your life to be defined by your struggle with obesity. Just put your hand in your pocket, hire someone who knows what they're doing and get it sorted, learn the principles and go off on your way and be happy. All right. Next sort of bit I want to throw onto you, Sunil, is rigid eating attitudes doing more harm than good. So what I'm talking about here is food rules and camps actually harming people rather than doing rather than doing them any good. So camps like, I don't know, the fasters, camps like the ketoers, camps like the vegans. Nothing wrong with any of those three, but where does it, where does it start to become destructive? Confusion. A lot of confusion. Um, 
there's I would say now too much information out there. <laughs> there's so much information out there that it makes everything confusing. Um, and these diet wars of, oh, my diet is better than yours because of insulin. And it's just like, guys, calorie deficit is what you should be focusing in on, not the minutiae of what it is, is that that's getting you towards that. Um, so I think, I think confusion, like a lot of people will, will, will hear about uh, keto. A lot of people will hear about intermittent fasting a lot of people will hear about these shake diets there's there's a lot of things coming in at, at, at an individual and having to process that and we're seeing stuff like um vegan keto now as well um which i'm coming across um and i'm thinking that doesn't sound i mean it might it might work for some people but to me with all my experience and i'm sure with you that just sounds like failure for someone that's not experienced in in dieting mm. um I think it's a lot of confusion when it comes to this. Um, it's a lot more, it's not simple. I don't want to say it's simple, but it's a lot more simple than people think. Um, and I find themselves over confusing or, or just taking in too much information, uh, getting very neurotic about stuff. Um, while all those things do work, it's, um, it's not knowing the underlying principles of why they work. I would, that's how I would describe it. Um, and the education there plays into that as well. Um, it's like when I've described, when, when I've educated clients on, you know, what we need to focus in on, it's, um, I found that that to be very helpful because then like, you know, my whole rant about fruit and stuff, like um, a client of mine um, actually shared with me that, you know, they were told by someone to watch how much fruit uh, that they eat because of that, because of the sugar thing. Um, <laughs> and, and now that we've introduced fruits back in, the pro they, they've lost weight and the process is that that much more enjoyable and now that is a source of um nutrition that they can draw from to help them with their dieting process so you know when i when i rant about stuff like that is because that information is making it that much more difficult for people like it's adding another another, another layer of difficulty on top of the dieting process already so that's why it really frustrates me and when i kind of take them on board and start implementing these things with them um it be, the process becomes much more easier and more enjoyable so i'm finding like this stuff adds a lot of confusion and it doesn't make the process you know it doesn't make the process sustainable and it and that's why you find people just continuously dieting because it's stop start stop start no results um it's not it's not enjoyable it's not sustainable they can't keep consistent with it like who's going to drink shakes the rest of their life um i mean yeah it's, it's just uh that's just my two cents on it's building those habits uh, and that consistency with um a plan um that i found um to be the most helpful thing um so that's what i would add to that mm. yeah i think um sustainability is is a big thing i mean i'll just kind of briefly touch on that because i think you covered that really well um in terms of yeah, rigid, rigid attitudes towards dieting. I mean, I remember the, the, the attitudes towards, say, junk food and stuff like that. Like, there should be, I think people misunderstand what flexibility actually is. And I think you've, you, can, you can have a great deal of variety within a macro plan. I'd also say that the variety that you should have within a macro plan should be fueled by what allows you to stick to the diet. So I, I kind of want to come at this with both angles. 
the angle that you came at it from in terms of sustainability and having an understanding uh, nutrient, um, high degree of nutrient nutrition, um, high satiating foods, stuff like that. I think that's a very good angle. I want to come at it from the other side of the view, point of view as well. I think there is a recent trend of people trying to be too flexible. And that's also a form of rigid eating attitude, which does more harm than good. They are rigid about this idea that they can eat whatever they want as long as they fit it into the macros. I saw this on a friend of a friend's nutrition post and she poses as a nutritionist. And um, I find some of her posts really crap because I know that she struggles with sticking to her own plans. So yeah, I mean, of course we all do. I mean, you know, you and I, we both have bad days. Of course, we're not, we're not robots, but overwhelmingly we've got our shit together, right? <laughs> because we've thought about this. So like I see this lady's posts and one of the things that she insisted on posting was this massive sandwich with very little um, salad or very little vegetables involved, lots of mayonnaise, yeah, and just lots of crap on it. Uh, and what I mean by crap is like really high calorie, low satiation types of foods. And she says, did you think you weren't allowed this on a fat loss diet? Of course you're allowed it. It's like, hold on. No one said you're not allowed it. What we're saying is it might not fill you up very much for the amount of calories that you're getting. Let's say it's an 800 calorie sandwich. Like I've, I've seen some meals, thousand calorie meals. They're a lot bigger than that. I've <laughs> seen my 500 calorie meals. They're a lot bigger than even that. So I think there's another type of way that people find their, they have a rigidity towards what they deem as flexibility, which sounds a bit crazy, but it's like they're rigid on their interpretation, their skewed interpretation of what if a picture macro is. And I think that's potentially just as dangerous because she's advertising that as a nutritionist. She's saying, you guys can have this. Now, I know, I already know, for somebody like me with my appetite, that would be disastrous. And I'd be willing to guess it would be disastrous for me like you as well. So I think that's another way. You've got to be careful on both ends. You can overshoot it and be so strict that you never, you restrict so much that it actually makes you stressed out and then you just binge. Or you can do this whole modern version of Infinite Macros, which, come on, guys, I thought we let that go in 2010. She's like 10 years late on this. So, um, but like, we, you can be overly like free as well. Like, you've got to be sensible. We're all adults here. But anyway, next thing I want to say, which is one of the final points, um, is the, of how people screw up their diets, is offsetting an entire week of dieting on the weekend. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, this is something that I had written down, Baz. Um, what I thought, or if you, if you would agree on this, is what would be helpful for the audience is, you know, why do we, why do we see people struggling with the weekends? And, you know, why is it weekend accountability? And that could play into the, um, the environment that we're surrounded in and how, you know, our schedules are set up where in the evening times we see these habits creep in and where they occur um, and why is it the weekends because obviously most people are off on the weekends that's when the majority of the so socialization occurs uh, between friends and family and uh, we see more obviously events occur on the weekends because everyone's free on the weekends and yeah. did you want to touch on like the environment which is uh, created during those times and why the intake of um energy is higher during those times so 
Yeah, I mean, whichever angle you want to you want to approach it from. What what has been your experience? So just to just to add to like what I just said, mm. um, I would say the environment that you're surrounded in when you go to say like a weekend event or even in the evenings on any given day is going to be surrounded with probably more um, calorie dense foods. Yeah. Um, th- that's that's what I would share with the audience. You know, you're going to be surrounded by these events, whether you like it or not. Um, otherwise, you're just going to be a hermit crab, you know, living in, in your house for the rest of your life, not interacting with anyone. Um, so I think you have to be aware that this is going to be the situation that you're getting into and how you approach that situation. Um, if you do have goals, because obviously not everyone's going to have goals, but if someone's listening to the podcast, they've probably got a fat loss call or a weight loss call that they're working towards and that they want to achieve. Um, so I would say be aware of like, you know, during the evenings and the weekends, that these situations will, will occur. You'll be surrounded by tempting treats and um, beverages, uh, food that um, are not going to help you towards the, the, de- the calorie deficit. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of things that I see, I see people, people do, which is, you know, um, not eat in the day of like an event like that. And then they lead up into the event hungry and tired um, which could lead to, you know, them eating a lot more than they would have done if they ate uh, earlier in the day. Um, but yeah, the the weekend whole, you know, part of that, I think, um, is where all that stuff occurs. Um, so there's a lot of ways that, you know, you, you could work around that, which is um, just create a larger deficit in the week. If you're going to want to enjoy something on the weekends, um, it's something that you could try. But then I found... Like far as like even for myself, um, there's you know, everyone's going to have their own approach towards a plan. What I found is is that you know the, the creating a larger deficit in the week just for having more calories in the weekend is something that kind of does not work well with me. Yeah, I don't like. I I don't like that inconsistent kind of behavior. I like having a consistent um, approach every single day. I don't know if anyone else listening is like that, but the thought of you know oh, you're going to have this event or something on this day. So on these other days, you're going to have to do something different. It's just not appealing to me. Because um, then, then it feels like I'm sacrificing my routine. Like I've, I've built my routine that I enjoy and I like. And um, yeah, that, that's kind of what I see with the whole weekend thing and the evening thing. Mm. Um, you, you're going to most likely have chocolate, you know, watching your favorite TV show or movie or something rather than, you know, in the middle of the day. I don't know. That's just the way that I kind of that I've seen it and experienced it, um, and the lack of meal prep obviously um, is another thing. So, like you know how you talked earlier about people running at the house and not having time for um, breakfast. Something that I've done with the client is I've introduced the uh, idea of mono meals. So, like I've tried to eliminate the um, I've tried to eliminate the point of not being able to have a meal if that makes sense, or something to get down through, through mono meals. So um, I've, I said to them, if you're running out of the house, like literally to get to work, can you grab, you know, five of something and take, take, take that with you, which is like, for, um, for example, for my, um, that I would give to recommend would be like a, like, like a fruit sauce. Can you run out of the house with five of something? Um, which I think you, you, you can do. Like, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do that. Um, but it's like it's like introducing those little ideas of making sure you have something to get down you um, because 
uh, I don't know if we've touched on this before, but you know, the idea of energy expenditure reducing because of you not taking in that first meal is, is that could be like something that happens. So even on like mood and just stress and feelings in general, um, with that lack of breakfast idea and coffee and good intentions. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's just like a lot of things that I see and experience with the whole weekend and, um, approach. Yeah. I think for, for me, the, the biggest factors, uh, where we, of why we see more eating on the weekends and in the evenings is boredom and stress eating. I think the, the body and the mind, it holds a lot of stress from the week. A lot of little, little minor things like stuff at work, someone cuts you up in traffic, relationship stuff, like lots of little minor things which you wouldn't even really give any attention to. And the brain is very good at redirecting you from the stress which you should be thinking about and you should be addressing straight to food. Now, one of the things I talked about in a recent episode of my Fastest Fat Loss um, podcast was that once you, after a while, you have you should learn to develop the ability to put a stop between stress and stress eating and put a stop between and actually think about why am I reaching for the chocolate on this evening or weekend or whatever. For some people, it can be stress. For others, it's just like a routine. For others, it is simply just boredom and they're looking for something to do. And if you look at the three big pleasures in life, which is eating, sleeping, and the other one, <laughs> you know that it's one of the big three. So it gives people something to do, gives you something to look forward to. So I think those are the reasons why it happens. Now, in terms of how we can fix it, some practical tips. I like when I'm on a diet, I don't keep junk in the, in the house, basically. I just don't. Um, and if my partner wants some, she kind of, she actually, she's lovely. <laughs> she keeps it out of sight. Now, how nice is that? Like, how sweet is she? So, but she does that for me. She knows I'm dieting, so she keeps it out of sight. The only thing that I actually keep around, which I think you'll recognize this, Sunil, is my organic cacao nibs, organic cacao oh, yeah. but buttons. <laughs> so uh, I keep those because I like dark chocolate with um, like part of what I eat. So first thing is you can affect your own environment. Like in your house your, or let's say your area of your house, you can just restrict what food is there. Ensure that you've got good, healthy options. And if any of you have watched my How to Stay Lean Forever video, you'll know that one of the large factors in diet sustainability is the easily accessible fruits and vegetables, easily accessible, quote unquote, healthy foods. You, know, you all know what we mean by that. So affect your environment as much as possible. And the second thing I would like to say is if you are not in your environment, let's say you are going out, for God's sake, don't go out hungry. I also, like Sunil, don't like the idea of changing my routine during the week to accommodate a weekend. I think there's, there's a massive disparity between the week and the weekend. It's a diet which is doomed to fail. Carry on with your diet as normal during the course of the week, whatever you're eating. And then if you are going to go off plan, then just go off plan. This is part of the whole big talk on flexibility, which I've been banging the drum on recently. This idea that flexibility is not just eating within your macros and calories. Flexibility is the idea that you can actually go off the plan. Because you know what? We're not all robots. And a plan for life should include periods of time and an acceptance that you will go off the plan. Okay. That's just, I just want to get that out there. A plan for life and flexibility is not just fitting it into your plan. That is not flexibility by definition. You can't say it is. So I think we've got to be mature enough to understand that every now and again, we may well go off plan, but we just get back on it, get all back on the plan, the meal after. And I talked about that in my recent episode of Fastest Fat Loss as well. If you are having a rough time and you know there's a lot of events going up, just evaluate things meal by meal. If this meal was a bad one, put it behind you, get on to the next meal, make it a good one. 
Simple. And that way you're always keeping accountable. The last thing I want to hear from people is, you know what? It's Monday. I'm expecting to have a shit week. Screw this week off. I'll see you next Monday. We'll start next Monday. I actually heard, I actually uh, saw a nutritionist make a post about that. That is amazing. So just such a bad attitude towards food. Basically, if something, if something, if you are off plan, go get back right back on plan the next meal. So a few things there to help people out um, who offset their week of dieting on the weekend. Now, the next thing to cover is short-term water retention. Uh, I'll let you tackle this one, then I'll tackle the final one. So you're going to talk a little bit about short-term water retention masking weight loss. Yeah, this is something that I've experienced that causes a lot of stress and anxiety. Um, and the the reassuring kind of um, hug around the shoulder, I think, helps with coaching when it comes to this, because it can it can lead to a lot of self sabotaging. Um, and the study that I um, shared with you, I, this, this was a long time ago, but it was um, weight fluctuations was one of the reasons why the regainer group. Um, it was one of the reasons for the, the regainer group um, because it affected them. Um, um, with the short-term water retention, like you, like you just mentioned. Um, I think uh, this is something that can play mind games and with a lot of people when it, when it comes to this. Um, but, you know, if we, if, we, if we just go over the amount of carbohydrates taken in, uh, salt taken in, um, if you can help people kind of understand, you know, and to account for those things, I think that does help. Uh, the amount of food on a given day, the amount of bulk of the food. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do find like, without the lack of education um that that can be a big part in like demotivating someone or getting them to jump off a plan um which is one of the reasons why keto probably works so well because in the initial stages you see a reduction in the water weight um and then that helps people you know uh probably continue to revisit it or um stick with the plan um so i think yeah um you've got two ends of the spectrum where you see a lot of water weight and it motivates people. And then you see a lot of um, water retention and it uh, demotivates people. So um, I think the stuff on like carbohydrate intake, uh, bulk of food uh, and sodium um, are things to kind of uh, be aware of. Um, I I just found out like in hot sauce, like Nando's Peri Peri sauce and Frank's red hot sauce, there's a lot of salt in it, (laughs) but um, uh, the amount you use so it's little things like that like if people aren't aware of those things um that can all play into like the short-term water retention along with training i think you, you told me this like training as well yep. uh if you're training like you know hard <laughs> you're, you're going to cause a lot of uh inflammation right yep. and that that will lead to water retention like i can like sometimes um after leg days i found that my body weight shoots yep. like uh, up so I think again the education there, and we've touched on the sodium potassium uh, topic on the previous podcast. Uh, I think it was episode two or three. Mm. Um, stuff like that, I find very interesting to educate myself on and uh, help others with. So educate myself and pass that on to other people. Uh, I really like to do so. Um, that's just my two cents on that as well. So cool. Throw back to you. So I think, I think that was covered really well. So I won't add anything else onto that. But just on the final point, which is menstrual cycle variation, I'll cover that one. Um, there is a high degree of water retention during various parts of the menstrual cycle. Now, I work with a lot of females and 
after I've been working with them for a while, we can usually guess when we're going to be up in body weight because it comes, generally it comes in the late luteal phase just prior to the actual week of menstruation. That's normally when we see a spike in weight. During the menstruation, we see generally see the weight dip down again. So over the course of that month, there could be a range of water retention issues with we're all related to the menstrual cycle. So water retention and just bloat and just holding on to, to resources anyway. So you compound that with all the rest of the issues that we've discussed in this podcast, you can see that women have it far harder in the sense of to actually track. Now, generally, women tend to be smaller. They also are exposed to all the different issues that uh, we've identified. And then on top of that, the menstrual cycle variation as well. So the biggest thing you can do as a woman is just to apply that patience doubly so than with a man. Your weight loss may not only be slower, depending on your size, just by virtue of you being smaller, but also it, it may well be more prone to fluctuations in weight, which are unrelated to fat. And you've got to see through that to stay in the course. So yeah, really, really important. Um, all right. Uh, so we've covered about eight or nine points there, all to do with factors which cause people to, um, to see a stall in, in fat loss, or just not see any fat loss at all. Um, any closing thoughts on that, Samil? I really like this one. Um, I think we touched a lot of good points, um, a lot of like real world application that people could use. Um, I think that this stuff would be really helpful. Um, and obviously we've got the future podcasts to touch on with the other topics, which I think would be really helpful as well. Um, just from the feedback that I've got um, from clients and other people, it's the little things that we don't really take for granted um, that are the most useful. Like we could like sit up here and talk about a lot of minutiae stuff. Um, but I find like the stuff that we kind of don't like, it's like, it's like the stuff that we take for granted, like the little things that are really, really helpful. And that those are the messages that I've got back from where I've not even like put thought into it thinking that that would be really helpful where it is like actually very helpful. So um, stuff like, you know, the meal prep, how, I guess we'll go into this in the future podcast of how we organize our days as well and like our routines and stuff that we practice daily that um uh like the steps and the 10 minute walks and stuff like that um that will be re i think i think very very helpful um and the all the all the topics that we discussed today um hopefully had some value to uh, whoever's listening so yeah throw it back, back at you brilliant so just some final thoughts for me um yeah, hopefully we have added some value. Um, that's what we try and do with these podcasts. I just talked a bit about what might be preventing you from seeing weight loss on the scale. Um, overwhelmingly, though, I just want to go back to a point that I said uh, near the middle of the podcast. You know, time, you don't want to be wasting time when it comes to fat loss because every bit of time that you waste is time you're not going to get back. And it's also time which you spend further ingraining potentially bad habits. So Sunil and I both coach. Um, I have a a few different ways that you can work with me. I do consultations. Um, I have a very affordable group coaching model and I also do one-to-one -one stuff as well if you need that extra attention. So if you do want to work with me, if you do want to work with me with Sunil, get in touch with either of us. Um, we'll have our contact details in the description. Uh, if you're seeing this on my YouTube channel, I've got a um, Google Drive a link for you to click on to fill in a form. I'll, uh, I'll get back to you. But uh, yeah, just, uh, just get in touch. You know, um, it's... You'd be surprised. We, we get nothing but good feedback from our clients. You'd be surprised how 
positive an experience a good coaching can be and how much time it can save. Um, so yeah, that's my, my final sort of thoughts on that. Um, all right, Sunil, thanks for, for joining. And um, we will call it there and we will see you next time. All right.